Welcome to a special presentation of the MSD Community Podcast Series. This episode features Adolescence is Hard Work with Dr. Michael Thompson and was originally held on Thursday, January 14th via Zoom. Enjoy the episode! So now it is my great pleasure to welcome you to MSD's second evening of three in this year's Distinguished Speaker Series. Um, this is our second night with Dr. Michael Thompson. And I quickly want to thank the uh, anonymous supporter for um, helping us bring this speaker series to you, um, which is full of great speakers and thinkers, and also enabling us to open up the evening to others outside of our MSD community. A quick plug that our last speaker series evening will be on Wednesday, February 3rd, and that is going to be a night with Jefferson Burnett, who's uh, NAIS, the National Association for Independent Schools Vice President, and he's going to be talking with us about future-proofing of children in regards to the quickly, thank you to the pandemic coming fourth industrial revolution. So... Now about tonight, um, as I said last time, I have been a super fan of Dr. Thompson's or Michael's, which he said I could call him last time, so I'm gonna go with that this time. Uh, for some time, both as a parent and as an educator, attending his conference presentations, keynote speeches, reading his books, um, watching his Raising Cane PBS series, uh, being on Zooms of late with other heads of school with he and Rob Evans feeling better about things when they make us laugh. Um, in all these situations, he, he's made me feel better. I have zero doubt that he will do the same for each of you tonight. So the format for the evening will be some remarks by Michael, and then he's allocated uh, the rest of his time to answering your questions. So feel very fortunate that there, because usually when I hear him, you can't ask questions. Um, the chat is open. Uh, Anne Hewitson's going to help me monitor it along uh, with me. To keep things tidy in Zoom land, we will call on you and ask you to unmute yourself and ask it. Um, so if you're comfortable with that, hopefully. So there are about, how many of you? About 76 people tonight. Wow. So hopefully we will have a great turnout, um, great conversation. So my great pleasure to introduce Michael Thompson, who's gonna talk with us about adolescence development. Um, a quick note, he did start his career as a middle school teacher 50 years ago. MSD started our middle school eight years ago. Um, and as we were talking earlier, uh, I just am so happy we did because middle schoolers um, on campus just make it a much happier place to be. Um, one of my favorite things every year is to listen to our eighth graders talk about their growth and reflect on their learning. Um, and it's amazing experience to be part of. So I'm an adolescent fan, just like other people. Uh, Michael specializes in children and families and has been the psychological consultant at the Belmont Hill School for the last 26 years. He has written 10 books, um, obviously including Raising Cain, It's a Boy, Best Friends Worth Enemies, which I know many of us um, has re have read as well. I know some of you guys were reading Raising Cain, um, the book. I watched the PBS series. Um, he's worked with more than 700 schools um, internationally as well as locally, including MSD now. Um, and this part makes me especially my heart happy. He is also a Montessori parent and grandparent. So please join me in a Zoom welcome for Michael Thompson. All true. And, and Julie, the last time I spoke to an MST 
audience the day after I got a call from Vail Mountain School saying, we heard you were good. Can we come and talk to our parents? <laughs> we are trendsetters. It's true. Well, it revived a relationship. I had done some work with their family in the past, but it was kind of nice. So I had the feeling people in Colorado were talking nice. <laughs> I, thank you. I'm delighted to be back. And I'm particularly pleased uh, to not be talking about parenting in the pandemic which as you can imagine has been the topic uh, uh, that people have wanted me uh, to address. And it was what I talked about um, uh, in, in our previous uh, meeting. And I will uh, uh, be willing to talk about adolescents and sequestering in the pandemic or wanting to bust out of their homes in the pandemic and going to see their friends all of these, I, I, can't, I can't get away, none of us can get away from the pandemic, but I'm gonna try and give you a, a little bit of a, a talk that I've been giving for an awfully long time. I trained, uh, when I was getting my PhD at University of Chicago, I went on and did a two year postdoc at uh, Michael Reese Hospital uh, in Chicago, South side of Chicago, um, in, in training in uh, adolescent, uh, 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 psychiatry and, and research. And I gave a talk, uh, talks on adolescence uh, for many years. And I tried uh, uh, to take the enormous amount of research on adolescence and boil it down um, in a way that makes it accessible. So I'm gonna, this is gonna be a five point talk, but I wanna start out first of all, by asking, uh, just give me a wave if, if you've, ever worried about aging, having an aging body, uh, getting older, just give me a wave if you've ever, okay, lucky you, because I'm now going to make you an offer, okay, a kind of a magical offer. Um, I, I'm going to magically transform you back to a younger age, all right, but I'm going to give you some choices here. Okay, I, I, how many of you, you can only pick one. I'm gonna give you uh, 10 choices here, but you can only pick one. How many of you, raise your hand if you would be 13 again? Yes, I'm kidding. <laughs> Megan said, no, no, no. 14, 15, 16. Oh, Jennifer came in at 15, right? Jennifer, yeah, 16, we're getting a bunch more hands, 17. Yeah, more hands, I'm gonna look on the other pages here. Yeah, 18, yeah, Susan comes in at 18, 19, and 20. Oh, you all jumped in late adolescence. You were you're you're going for sixty. You're you're going for the 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 beautiful uh, perfect body. I I come in actually around twenty five. Um, that's uh, uh, that's where I come in. But you you see the point of this little exercise. Nobody wants to go back to thirteen and fourteen again. I mean, what if I put it another way? I said you know like the uh, made you an offer you couldn't refuse. Uh, uh, if you imagine who you are, who you are right now in the body that you have, and I say, how would you like over the, ne over the next uh, three to four years, like uh, to double in weight, uh, uh, become 
twice as large as you are now, right? Um, how would you like to have to transform your relationships with everybody in your family? How would you like to uh, become socially insecure and wonder if you were in the right groups? How would you like to have to uh, 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 kind of re-examine your values and uh, uh, think about your identity all the time? Uh, uh, why would you do that? Why? No one wants to change that much or that fast. No one does. The two periods of the most rapid change in human life are infancy, of course, which is extraordinary. It's like feels like geometric growth. If you miss, if you don't get to see a toddler, and I'm I'm talking to groups of grandparents who are not getting to see uh, grandchildren who've been born during this pandemic or not gotten to see small grandchildren. It's breaking their hearts because they, when they they use FaceTime and whatever. But when you when you don't see a little child for a while, the, the change is so uh, uh, staggering. But of course, the child herself doesn't remember it because you don't remember that rapid growth. Most people don't have memories from before the age of three, three and a half. And so you've done all of this enormous speedy growth, but you don't remember it. Well, when's the period of the uh, next uh, 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 most rapid growth in the in the human life cycle, it's early adolescence. And uh, starting typically um, around 11, uh, kids begin to grow uh, uh, very, very rapidly. I mean, this is not an offer that they can refuse. And, uh, you know, I'm, I work at a boys' school, and sometimes I'll get an eighth grade boy or a ninth grade boy who just seems um, exhausted, exhausted, just wiped out. And um, I, I know from his size that he wasn't this size last year, and I'll ask him, uh, how much, you know, how much have you grown? in the past year, do you know? No, don't know. Asking eighth grade boys questions, you get, don't know. But some know, and they say five inches, six inches. And and I'm not surprised because I've been looking at their pants, right? And if, if her mother hasn't been able to keep up with the, the, buying the pants, the, you know, the cuffs are, 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 are lifting them, they're just outgrowing everything and they're tired all the time. Are they high energy? Yes, but when they're not high energy, uh, they're sometimes just um, uh, exhausted and you think, what an unmotivated kid, what a lazy kid, and I'm thinking, what a tired kid, because his body is changing and the body doesn't grow evenly. Um, uh, uh, and the hands and the feet get larger, the nose gets larger, the chin gets larger. Um, uh, and then, of course, it's the development of breasts and uh, pubic hair. And for boys, a constant worry, the size of their penis. Uh, middle school boys uh, start making jokes about penis size in middle school. And these continue among boys until, uh, well, pretty much death. Uh, these uh, men make these jokes, but um, 
it, will I be big? Will I be strong? Will I be beautiful? And am I growing at the same rate as other kids? And you see um, uh, uh, two boys who were very close friends in fifth grade. And now one is, you know, it's a Mutt and Jeff combination. You get uh, a, 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 a very... Um, uh, a tall boy and a, a boy who hasn't embarked on puberty. Um, and that has a huge a social impact. I have a slideshow uh, that I do with, that an illustrator did for me. And he, he took a slide from uh, Tanner's The Physiological Changes of Puberty, which was the first medical text on all of the changes of puberty. And it's a pretty grim uh, medical text, but they I took pictures of kids' growth with, with standing up, uh, children naked against a wall with a, you know, a height uh, um, graph, but behind them. And one of the pictures I had my illustrator uh, uh, do is a sort of a, a gentler um, a slide, and it showed three naked girls, and one has the body of a 16-year-old, and <clears throat> the other has a body of a 12 and a half year old, and the other has a body of a 10 year old. Um, and I ask, it's not identified, but I ask of uh, the audience, what age are these three girls? And the answer is of course, that they're all 12 and three quarters. <laughs> um, but <clears throat> an early developing girl who, who's already developed a woman's body by 12 and three quarters, um, her relationship with the world has changed and men look at her and react to her in, in different ways. I was once uh, asked to consult on a, uh, a, a third grade girl who already had embarked on puberty very early. And it, she just got so depressed because she did not want the body that her biology was giving her. She didn't want to be that grown up. She wanted to be a little girl for longer and she, it made her incredibly sad. So we know early developing girls are something at, at risk and late developing boys are at risk. I see it every year at my boys' school because the boys who remain uh, a little well into eighth grade when other boys are getting much larger get, just get frantic about it. I, I once had a, um, I was sent when I had a private practice, I no longer do because um, I, I just write and speak now, but I, I, I had some parents bring me um, a 10th grade boy who'd been a fantastic athlete in elementary school, but he'd never grown. And you can't keep up with the bigger boys. And he'd gotten, I mean, he's still a pre-pubertal kid at the beginning of 10th grade, and he'd more or less withdrawn from society. He was holed up in his room. He wouldn't go anywhere. He was playing the guitar, teaching himself the guitar. And he was clearly pretty sad. And um, I asked him, uh, did you, have you played any sports in high school? And he said, well, I wrestled last year because the wrestling coach recognized that he actually had a good athlete, a very small boy, but he had him, uh, he was able to wrestle him at a very uh, lightweight. But uh, I said, are you going to wrestle this year? He said, no. Anybody want to guess why? Why wouldn't the 10th grade boy go off for wrestling team uh, in 10th grade year? He'd been successful in ninth grade doesn't want to wrestle younger kids. Nope, didn't want to be in a shower with his team. Didn't, didn't want to have to travel with the wrestling team. 
and be in a gang shower. My, I work at a boys' school, and uh, we built a, a, a palace of sport, our competitors called it, you know, in the arms race that, uh, that uh, uh, independent schools get into. And uh, uh, the uh, director of athletics, uh, uh, George Tahan, said, have you been in the building when it was just being finished? And I said, no. And he said, well, uh, come down, and I, I want to... Uh, uh, I'll give you a tour because you cost us a lot of money. I said, I cost you a lot of money. And he, I, I, I said, why? And he said, well, we, you told us we had to do individual showers with curtains for middle school boys. Before that, we'd only ever had gang showers for middle school boys. He said, in fact, I checked the laws of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. They require individual showers, private showers for girls, with, but not for boys. And so as a boys, a kind of a traditional gung-ho boys schools, we'd never had them, but we did because our psychologist did. And I said, the only reason I did was because people were always asking me, how do we get middle school boys to shower? Because our middle school athletics were earlier in the afternoon and the boys would play sports and then they wouldn't shower and then they'd go and have a, a class and all the middle school teachers complained about them. The middle school boys are funky and they smell bad. And we want them to shower, but they're not going to shower if if it means exposing themselves. Um, uh, 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 to a group because uh, thirteen and fourteen are extraordinarily self-conscious ages. Some people argue the most self-conscious ages in um, in all of human life. I mean, sometimes when you have a thirteen-year-old, and uh, uh, well, I'll tell you a story. There was a mother who was in a stationery store, and and she was looking for a certain kind of stationery, then wanted other samples of stationery. And, and her 13-year-old daughter was thinking, my God, this is unbearable. My mother is the most difficult person on earth. That She can't settle on a stationery. And the 13-year-old the, the girl just became absolutely agitated because she thought somehow the whole world was looking at her. Uh, and, and that extreme self-consciousness makes, of course, a child feel uh, acutely uncomfortable, but it also makes them quite angry at their parents because you're, 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 you're exposing them and they have no control over it. And they, uh, they uh, hate that. So uh, ultimately, uh, kids um, get used to the bodies they have, but it takes some time. It takes some time. And now they have a whole uh, a new group of feelings, uh, many of which are um, hormonal. Uh, and some of the hormonal feelings are sexual and they develop a sexual life. Um, and, and, and that's not something they want to talk to their parents about. So they tend to become more private uh, 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 from you. I mean, asking you know, in middle school, are you interested? Do you have a crush on somebody? I mean, it's just uh, the question they told. Jillian, you've asked this, haven't you? And not gotten the right answer. Jillian, why are you nodding and smiling so? Yeah, I've been in middle school for like a decade, right? So it's like you just, you say it really well. Like, okay, but you, that, what I'm saying is quite recognizable to you. Yeah, I can like have a bunch of kids pop in my head of their shyness immediately, like visible, you know, redness from yeah. 
being embarrassed when I'm like, yeah. oh my God, oh my God. I, like, how can you ask me that? I'm not going to talk about that, right? Um, <clears throat> so the first thing you have to do is adapt to puberty in your body. And that takes some years because it changes your identity, but it also changes your relationship with your family. And so that's my second point. You have to transform your relationship with your family. And I'm going to boil it down to a moment. Um, how many of you have an adolescent who, who is now uh, taller than you? Ah, so, and it's mostly, I mostly can look at moms on this uh, screen. There is a moment when you're in the kitchen telling your adolescent to do this or that, you're giving some kind of command or, uh, you know, some expectation. And what you get back is rudeness and disrespect. But what you, what your child was thinking is, why is this short woman bossing me around, right? Because I'm taller than she is. And she ought to treat me like a big person because I was little for a long time with her, but now I'm big and she ought to treat me as if I'm big. And of course, they're not big cognitively and they're not all grown up emotionally, but they are in fact looking down into their mother's eyes. And for both boys and girls, that's a moment. That's a moment. I'm bigger, physically bigger uh, 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 than my parents. But always in a 14-year-old and a 15-year-old, the central, the core of their psychology is autonomy. Mom, I can do it myself. Leave me alone. I can do it. Don't treat me like a baby. I'm not a baby. And I hear your voice and it makes me sound like a baby. So people, the one of the most and the most common questions I get um, is how to get a 14-year-old a, a, a boy to talk to you more. Um, and the problem is you, you, you want to talk to him, but you start, how are you? How are you, sweet? How, how are things? How are you doing? And, and he hears that voice, and he was feeling 14, but about 30 seconds of a mother's voice and he's feeling 13. And another 30 seconds, he's feeling 12. And in another 30 seconds, he's feeling 11. And he's feeling what's called the regressive pull of the mother because you knew him when. You changed his diapers, he, he cried in your lap. And your voice uh, it always threatens to unravel his new image uh, 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 of himself as an independent, autonomous uh, uh, a boy on his way uh, 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 to being a young man. And very often they push back in a disrespectful way. And then we want to put our hands on our hips and say, how dare you talk to me that way? And boom, boom, you can really get into that. Uh, the paradox of power between adolescents is the parent feels I used to have a, a lovely little child and now I've got this big monster. And, uh, but the child always feels that you're bigger and you have more power and you're always a threat to his or her autonomy. And sometimes it leads to some quite bad fighting in families. And what we try and do as family therapists and when families get into it uh, with an adolescent because the famous American uh, family therapist Jay Haley said the the biggest challenge for 
a family is to create enough space for an adolescent to feel their own autonomy. Biggest challenge, because you can overdo it and there are no limits and a child doesn't feel held, but otherwise you're uh, suffocating and cramping them. And it may change from moment to moment. And it's one of the things um, that is most exasperating in parenting. And it's one of the things that middle school teachers are because they're not, they, they love your kids, but they don't love them the way you do. And they have some distance from them. So they can't get pulled in uh, to these fights. But when a child is transforming her relationship with you, it can get ugly. So I had a mother who was, once came to me because every afternoon her um, daughter would come home from school, her 14-year-old daughter, and the daughter was like trolling with a triple hook, with a nice big silver spoon. I don't know how many of you are fisher. Uh, people, but the, you kind of imagine a big silver spoon with a triple hook, and the the daughter just had a knack for trolling that right through the kitchen, and the mother went for it, and then boom, a fight would start between them, and the mother came and said, "What do I do? We're fighting every day. I can't." She just throws an attitude. She is, and I said, "Well, just give yourself a timeout," and she said, "A timeout for me?" And I said, "Yeah, give yourself a timeout. Go to your bedroom." She came back this next week and she said, it didn't work. I said, why not? She said, my daughter followed me in the bedroom and we fought in there. I said, okay, uh, lock yourself in the bathroom. She came back the next week and she said, it didn't work. I said, why not? She said, she stood outside the bathroom door and we fought through the door. I said, okay, we'll leave the house and go for a walk. And she came back the next week and the mother was like, totally pleased. She said, I won, I won. I said, tell me, tell me. She was so pleased. And she said, we started to fight. And she said, I'm going for a walk. And the mother left the house and started down the sidewalk. And her 14-year-old daughter came to the stairs and said, Mom, you get back here. You know I don't like to walk. Right? <laughs> so the mother had, a, if you can uh, not get into every fight, look, they're stronger, they're younger, and nothing makes an adolescent feel more sure of her identity than fighting with her mother because then she feels misunderstood and aggrieved and then she really knows who she is right if you want the complete course on this i commend to you lisa damour psychologist at the laurel school in cleveland the book is called untangled and she lisa damour is a wonderful psychologist at a girl's school and uh I've read the manuscript of the, uh, I mean, I read the book in manuscript and love it. She knows how girls can torture um, uh, their parents. Um, and it's not that they don't love you. It's just that they, it's all an autonomy war. And it's all an autonomy war at my boys' school. I mean, that's just what they do. Everything's uh, an affront to their autonomy, um, uh, uh, an insult to their masculinity. Oh my goodness. The, you can, there are just so many ways to get in trouble with them. What they are doing, once they try to uh, change their relationship with their family, is look to um, their peers to form a group that will give them uh, a lot of the respect that they think they don't get from their family. Ron Taffel called it the second family in his book by that name. But... 
but you want to know where you rank and whether you can command the respect of your peers. And I've, I've written two books about the social lives of middle schoolers, best friends, worst enemies, and mom, they're teasing me. And mom, they're teasing me uh, promises uh, uh, parents that the, I, I'm gonna help you uh, 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 solve your children's social problems. But actually the book is mainly a way of saying, get out, butt out, butt out. Listen, empathize, and butt out. If you try and make your child look at, see Carrie, the head of the middle school, she's nodding, nodding. If you try and get in there and uh, improve your child's social life or track your child's super uh, social life or supervise, you're going um, to get your hand bit. Uh, and even if your child is not terribly successful, it's still a tricky thing. Uh, a seventh grade boy once said to me, my mother keeps asking, do I have friends? Do I have friends? She must think I'm a loser, right? And the mother felt what she was doing was loving and concerned. Um, and maybe he was having a struggle, but reporting his struggle um, made him feel like a loser. And his mom saw him as a loser. These are tricky conversations because uh, an adolescent's identity is always on the line. So kids have to figure out who are reliable friends and who are fair weather friends and who are not great friends and are coaching them constantly is of limited utility because sometimes they just need to get their hearts broken. Sometimes they just need to find out that a friend is not that good a friend and your friend is a gossip. Now, when I ask kids, when I do middle school assemblies about uh, best friends, worst enemies, I ask them uh, to define friendship for me. And sixth grade girls always say, oh, a friend is someone you can trust. And I say, trust to do what? And they say, keep a secret. And I say to sixth grade girls, do you always keep all of your friends secrets? And she says, well, most of the time, right? I asked an eighth grade boy, actually, at, uh, many years ago, I've been telling this story for many years, it was at Grayland Country Day in Denver, an eighth grade boy, I said, what's, friend, what's a friend, a true friend? And he said, it's confidentiality. And I said, Are all your, do all of your friends keep your confidences? And he said, well, about 80% of the time. And I said, uh, and what about the other 20%? And he went, hey, they're your friends, right? He didn't use the word forgiveness. But he was saying, my friend, I don't require my friends to be perfect. But I, when kids define friendship, it's trustworthy and loyal. They have your back. They're a shoulder to cry on. Uh, they boost you when you're sad. They make you laugh. Or they laugh at your jokes. Very important. Very important. Even when you're not funny, your friends will laugh at your jokes. Um, and then when you're with a group of kids and they're all in the grip of their own burgeoning sexuality, there's just an enormous amount uh, of sexual interest and sexual tension. And you have to figure out who's a friend and who's of sexual interest and, um, and, and how do you sort them out? Somebody you're just attracted to and somebody whom you really uh, feel enormous amount of affection for, but are not that attracted to. And of course, most of the kids are uh, heterosexual, but um, 
and and the conversation is mostly heteronormative. So the kids who are are going to be gay or lesbian are often not talking about what they're feeling or don't know how to find somebody who's feeling the same feelings they're feeling. I I, I talk to lots of boys um, who discover uh, who acknowledge openly uh, that they're gay by 16. Um, but when I have them in the privacy of the office, it's actually, they've usually kissed another boy between in the summer between seventh and eighth grade. It happens earlier, but it's longer for them to, uh, to be able to come out. It's a much better life for gay boys and girls are gonna be lesbian, but most girls who are lesbian actually uh, uh, date boys for a while and come to the conclusion that they're uh, more attracted to, uh, 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 to girls. The um, attraction boys have for each other seems to be more locked in and girls uh, uh, a later discovery and maybe more flexible, but I don't wanna go down uh, that road. I, I remember a high school junior girl saying to me once that she thought she was lesbian. And I asked whether she'd had a relationship with another girl. And she said, no, no. I said, have you talked to your parents about it? She said, no, it'll freak them out. I'm going to wait till college. Well, I said, okay, <laughs> what can I say? I mean, I wasn't going to run and tell her parents and she was going to protect her parents. But uh, you, you should know that it's in the mind of every child, just as it was um, for us, incidentally, the Washington Post had an article last week uh, asking, what, what's the first thing you're going to do when the pandemic is over? What's the first thing you're going to say when the... And uh, they interviewed somebody who ran a teen program. And the, this woman who was running this program for teens said, first thing I'm going to do after the pandemic is I'm going to tell the kids, make out. <laughs> She's spent the whole pandemic trying to keep kids from putting, getting too close to putting their hands on each other. It's a hard thing to do. But what, what, what you want eventually from a kid is that they are able to integrate their ne intimacy needs with their needs for sexual expression. Uh, Harry Stack Sullivan, the American psychologist, uh, psychiatrist called it uh, the task of integrating lust and intimacy. And people make mistakes. And kids, the other kids don't come with labels. And not only experiences are good, and not only experiences are good, but the kids who stay out and try not to have experiences because they're too frightened um, are missing something. And, 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 but the thing you need to know as a parent is your kids don't come to you and say, mom, do you think it's time for me to have sexual experiences? Right, I'm going to a party. I think there are gonna be kids having sex there. Do you wanna coach me about that? You just are not asked because we didn't ask our parents. And there's this uh, a divide between uh, generations. So um, adapting to puberty, transforming your relationship with your parents, finding friends and intimates outside of your family, integrating lust and, lust and intimacy, and finally forming identity and values. There is a massive cognitive change in early adolescence. And this is what makes teaching middle school so exciting. You take the concrete thinkers who come out of elementary school and all of a sudden they're growing and there's this blooming of the brain. They're all of a sudden just growing so much, so many neurons. 
but they're not linked up to anything. They just have this huge, huge bank of neurons. But what we know about infants is the brain grows big and then it's pruned. And then in early adolescence, the, the brain grows again. And it, that brain growth makes abstract thinking possible. But it's not very organized. And there are times when you want to just wave your hand in the front of the face of a 15-year-old boy and go, are you in there? Hello? Right? They're kind of lost in their own brains. They don't actually recognize faces and feelings. They don't identify them. That's been shown that they don't, that adolescents don't actually read, at, 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 particularly early to middle adolescents, don't read faces very accurately. Uh, so they, you know, you think you're being nice and they think she's mad or he's mad at me. Um, but they're also having to take all of the lessons you've taught them and begin to reassess. Did my parents, do they stand for the right things? And you get this adolescent idealism, you get this adolescent cynicism, you get this questioning. I, I, I knew a psychiatrist at Harvard once and he had come, he was a, a, from an Orthodox Jewish family. The first born son in his family had been an Orthodox rabbi for 400 straight years. And he went to his rabbi father at 15 and said, I don't believe in God and I'm not gonna become a rabbi. Can you imagine breaking a 400 year chain? Hey, but God is not mocked. Guess what the psychiatrist's son did? He became a rabbi and moved to Israel. <laughs> so <laughs> they, missed, they missed one. But can you, to, to go to your rabbi father and break a tradition and say, I don't believe, I don't believe in God. But that is the kind of thing that adolescents feel, say, and it shapes who they are. Um, and uh, many of them realize at this point, oh, I can outthink an adult. I actually meet adults, not all adults are abstract thinkers. So you get a 15 year old who meets an, a much more experienced adult, but the 15 year old realizes, I mean, it feels like I'm smarter, but I can actually outthink adults. I can think more deeply, more thoroughly, more clearly than adults. And, and it's true, some of them can. And they love to find their teachers making mistakes. Oh, they love that, right? And then in the end, you know, at 17, 18, you're not gonna see that much of them. But when they have to put everything on the line and go out into the world, they wonder, do, do, did I have everything I need? Did my parents give me everything I need? Am I okay? Am I ready? And of course they're not. They're half-baked because the, uh, the frontal lobes of the brain, the seat of judgment, don't finish. They finish earlier in girls, but uh, we send kids off to college with their brains unfinished and boys don't finish until they're 25. Did you hear me say at the beginning, I'd, I'd, I'd go back to 25, but not earlier. That's that's because, you know, I'm, I'm kind of attached to my adult judgment. So I was once at a Catholic school in Cleveland and they wanted me to talk about all of the 
acting out and problems of adolescence and sex and drugs and rock and roll and stuff like that. And I was trying to say to the audience, look, we all live this. I said, can anybody in this room, would you tell me what's the scariest, riskiest thing you did in adolescence? Would somebody be one? And there was this very um, neat young dad of two elementary school girls. And he looked just like a very tidy, organized guy. And he raised his hand and I said, what was it that you did? And he said, well, it was my junior year. And in the middle of the night, we went up to the roof of the gym and pried off the skylight. And then in the dark, we dropped from the roof into the swimming pool. And I went, oh my God, that's so dangerous. And he said, I didn't think so. And I said, why not? He said, my friend went first. That's what passes for good judgment in, in a high school junior. I mean, it's appalling. It's terrifying as parents. And we have to live that. They get their licenses and they grow up and we have to trust them. And we have to, uh, we can't keep them locked in the house. So I've talked 15 minutes longer than I meant to because I love to talk about this, but I'll answer questions and we can go over time if people want to stay. Uh, a little bit longer. There are no questions in chat. Have well, I, have, have I, started, what? I was going to say, I know that there are some questions. So okay. Oh, good. It only says one on my screen, but maybe you're well, seeing. I will. So I, we're happy tonight. We've got some middle school teachers on the Zoom. Good. I know that they would love to um, have some t an opportunity to ask you a question. And while you were talking, can I just tell you, I'm so happy to have a 22-year-old and a 20-year-old. High school, I hated high school so much. <laughs> and like policing them and figuring out what in the hell they were doing. And I had, right. you know, so anyway. Have they but come back? I still and, don't have fully formed brains yet either at my home. Have so. they come back and told you the things you missed? Have they started to reveal? Yeah, and I, and I told them it wasn't funny yet. So yeah. we're not talking yeah. about it. So. Tell me in a few years. I was like, that's not funny. Actually, I, I actually still would like to hurt you. So anyway, not as a Montessori school head, but like as another kind of person, perhaps. Right, so. a mother. <laughs> yes. All right, Jillian, what do you got? Your hands up. Thanks, Michael. This has been really enjoyable because you're knowledgeable and funny. So appreciate that. Um, my question is around cell phones. Yep. Um, like you know, the, the thought of like having a cell phone in middle school for me and like what that would add to or take away from social interactions. Um, just like, what are your thoughts on when kids should get specifically like a smartphone where they have the ability to have like social media um, and, you know, butting into students' lives. So, uh, you know, Jillian, I used to take the stand that at 12 or 13, but uh, it's moved down to 10. Oh, in the past decade, people are getting smartphones for their kids. It's because we're all so addicted and parents are addicted to being in touch with their kids. And uh, uh, they like it's it's as much a parent issue as it is a kid issue. I've seen I see a, a tiny minority of families who don't get their kids phones until 13 or 14. And the kids, of course, think they're going to die, but they don't. And um, and the parents are seen as uh, severe and strict, which in comparison, 
in an independent school uh, 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 body, they are, uh, but nobody dies from it. I, I would support a, a, a parent um, who, who, who wanted to hold it till later or get a very primitive device for the 10 year old and hold the smartphone, um, you know, give them an uncool phone at yeah. 10 or 11 if you need to be in touch with them and and because they're monumentally distracting but they're distracting for adults too the average american adult interacts with his or her phone 200 times a day average yeah so when we say these kids are so attached to their phones they're looking at us and thinking wow these grown-ups are so attached to their phone yeah Did, for sure. uh, jillian do you were you did you ever watch the cartoon Rugrats? Yes. Okay. Do you remember the mom? Uh, is it the mom? Is Angelina's mom? Red hair. Yeah, yeah. You remember the mother was always on her cell phone. I mean that cartoon. Yeah, yeah, that was her. The, the, the mother was constantly on the cell phone. Was never really. The mother was clueless. And that's why the always... kids could do whatever they wanted. Exactly. Exactly. And that was a very prescient view. Of, of the way kids see their parents and phones. So we, when we start worrying about our kids and phones, we should become aware of our own attachment to phones. And I think these kids are gonna have these devices for life. They're gonna be important, but they have to learn to get on them, to use them well and get off them. And everybody in the family has to model that for them. Definitely. So I have no, I, as a psychologist, I don't have research that proves it's better for a child who waits to 12 and to at 10 or 14 and 12. I don't have the research. It, it's a family value issue, but it does change their attention. There's no question about it. Yeah, thinking, thinking of smartphones and, and I guess the social media aspect that kids often want, like they want to have what is it? The TikTok, and they want to have oh yeah, of course. Instagram and things Everybody like that. Is, yeah, of course, of course. You know, I run. I've for 14 years with the, my counselor at Belmont Hill. We ran a, a family group. It was really a group psychotherapy group for boys from divorced families or families where there were ongoing affairs. I mean, messed up marital situations. And our boys wanted to sit in group therapy and text each other across the room. Yeah. And we, we had to ban them. We said, you know, this is sitting around. This is two psychologists, a counselor and a psychologist, and we will talk to each other in person. We will <laughs> not text, right? So you, sometimes you have to make kids relate because it's like <clears throat> note passing, only much, much better. <laughs> yeah. The kids have always tried to hide things, their social lives from their parents. So that because that's their private autonomous world and the phone's now it. I don't know if I gave you any help there, Jillian. Yeah, I guess I, I get curious about the social media. I, I've, I've been in roles in the past where students come in in the morning and they just looked at their, their friend's Snapchat story who was gossiping about this person. So like they bring in all this extra social drama that gets fed through the social media because you're right. a little bit more fearless through those mediums. And then all of a sudden I thought everyone left school and it was great. 
but we get in in the morning and there's this like blow up I have no idea about. Um, so just thinking along the lines of social media. So and what again, we have, to, we have to train them yeah. both to put them down, but also to let <clears throat> some of that drama go and relate. So you have to hear it, acknowledge it and ask them to let it go. Yeah. So that you can have their focus. And, and that's the training they need. We all have to do that to let it go what's on our phones. Uh, there's a, a, a cartoon in the New Yorker this week of a couple sitting looking at their TV and the TV instead of having a, having a picture on it as a message. Um, the two of you are on your phones so much, I don't feel you're fully present. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I roared because, you know, I've, I've caught my wife and myself on our phones while watching, right? Yep. <laughs> That you, we have to teach kids to be, <clears throat> to be fully present and not constantly detract, distracted. Thank you, Carrie. You want to jump in, and then there's some questions in the chat we can jump to. But what do you have sure. to ask? Sure, I, I, I often speak to the idea of like creating for parents to create that space for kids to grow, and it's like what happens in the middle school stays in the middle school kind of idea, um, and that's super scary for parents. And so I get calls a lot to, um, you know, parents think, so how's he doing, you know, and, and for me to, and as a teacher, you want to respect the child's privacy there, let them grow and, you know, deal with the things going on, right? And and, and I need the parents to trust, yeah, we are going to contact you when we need to bring team parent in as well. So I, I wanted your kind of maybe some of your advice, like, um, how, do, how can we set parents up to, um, to trust that? And, 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 you're going to you understand your child's going to stonewall you. They're probably not going to talk to you a whole lot. Um, and when it comes to that point, it, you know, you addressed it in a way of like, you kind of have to change your focus and your strategies because with adolescents, you, um, you, they're not going to respond to the way you talk to them as children. So how do you speak to an adolescent to get them to share with you a little more? Um, and, and you're kind of rebuilding a trust as yeah. a, as a right? We, we, and you're talking about how do you get, parents not to intrude and expect too much or how not to get parents to try and use the school as a back channel to get information yeah um you, you have to say to parents if i'm always a back channel source of information your child will not trust me so i'm not going to tell you everything can you live with that just stop carrie say can you live with that <laughs> okay right yeah there are parents of middle schoolers who get anxious and think, well, I pay tuition at that school. They ought to be telling me everything that's going on with my child. And you have to say, no, <laughs> I, I need a relationship with your child. Yes, yeah. Okay? And, yeah. And, and so you have to trust my discretion mm -hmm. that if it's worrisome or really important, you'll hear from me. And if it's every day, you won't. Right. Okay? That's I'm not wonderful. Gonna, yeah. That's, that, that's, that's the only way you can work with adolescents. <laughs> only way you work with adolescents. It is. Because they are... parents here, so they heard that. So good job. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. Heard that, right? You're going to give each other that self-talk. The Carrie can't tell you all the business in middle school, <laughs> right. nor can Jillian. And so. she shouldn't. And yeah. she shouldn't. Yeah. Um, I don't know, Susan or Melissa, you guys had some comments about cell phones and social dilemma. I don't know. Do you guys have any follow-up? things or any things he didn't mention that you guys want to ask about you're good susan melissa i i would just say we we watched it as a family 
well, not with Bo because he's stuck in the basement with COVID. But um, oh. and and Ella was like, I don't want social media. You don't have to fight that fight with me anymore. I was like, sweet, done. So I mean, I think like how how old is Ella? How old is 13. Ella? Uh-huh. She's right here, just listening. In. Hi, Ella. Uh, what do you think? What do you think of my talk, Ella? Am I, am I hitting the right points? I guess I didn't come in. Oh, you didn't hear the whole thing. That's probably it's probably a blessing for you. All right, I won't I won't put you on the hot seat. But yeah, I mean, I just I feel you know I deleted it from my phone, and it is it is it. I think it really is important to to model for them and to to put it away, and you yeah. know they're calling yeah. me out on it. It's like I was on Facebook on the computer, and Louisa came up and was like, "Mom, you're on Facebook. We just watched the whole thing. Turn it off." So. You know. I was uh, once consulting for a Chinese international school in Hong Kong, uh, and a, a Chinese international school is a full immersion uh, English Mandarin school, maybe the most intense day academic school in Hong Kong. But because the street language in Hong Kong is Cantonese, they take the whole ninth grade to a boarding program on the mainland so they can be immersed in Mandarin. And they, I visited the dorms there and at, at nighttime, uh, you you ha you checked into the dorms in three ways, uh, or at, uh, at, at bedtime you checked in three ways. They had to know you were there in person. You also had to plug in your laptop to one of those you know the big towers with all of the plugs in them. You had to plug in your laptop, and it had to be. Uh, they took attendance on your laptop, and then you had to plug in your cell phone. And they took attendance. They took attendance three ways: that you were in your room, and that your laptop and your cell phone were not. It's the only way they could get kids to sleep. No, that's been a struggle. Was a struggle at our house too about the yeah. sneaking their phones into bed and not sleeping and being texting. So, yeah. um, Todd, you had a good question about a COVID and New Zealand and thirteen-year-olds. So, why don't you ask it? Yeah. Uh, just looking for pointers and tips wrapped around sure. the uh, friendship development. Um, we're in a position where we've moved to a location where we know nobody. Um, and therefore, my adolescent has literally no other person her age uh, in the area that she hangs out with, talks with interacts with in any way because shape, you moved during the pandemic and she hasn't been able to connect with kids <clears throat> correct we moved just before it and then everything got shut down and then of course since then everything's remote and you know most of the teachers are just doing school they're not you know having them in interact with each other and engaging it's just here's the next history lesson and it's like you know, who cares but <laughs> um just yeah looking for pointers and tips around well, uh, development adolescent a speech that really sucks for your daughter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, that's r really bad. Has she been able to m maintain uh, 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 connections with uh, friends from her old school? Uh, yes, on very rare occasions, they they connect. They're in New Zealand. So the you know, time, a, the time, time difference and you know, day difference. And um, yeah, there's a bit of a challenge there, but it's it's occasion, but just it, not. So she's lonely. It, does she say she's lonely? Uh, 
she's an adolescent. Of course not. Does she uh, does she seem sad? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I see it. Uh, not that she would necessarily admit to it. Right. Um, feels that it's unnecessary. Everything's okay. Is she an only child? Yes. All right. All right. I was hoping for a younger brother or sister or somebody. Yep. Nope. That would have solved the issue. <laughs> God, I, 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 I feel for her and I feel for you. It, 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 it's hard uh, 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 to watch. So I hope she can keep up connections with old friends. Um, <clears throat> I hope uh, that if you, to, she's, she's attending a remote school, right? Correct. Um, I want you to talk to the counselor at the school uh, I, and tell your daughter that you're going to talk to the counselor about whether the counselor is doing anything socially for kids who are remote learners. And and she will say, oh, my God, don't do that, Dad. That's terrible. That's awful. Please don't do that. That's exactly what would happen. <laughs> and you say, but I, I feel so helpless. Um, will you permit me to have one conversation with the counselor and mm. report it back to you? Mm -hmm. But I won't harass you with it after. I just I, w I want to know whether somebody is doing something for a kid in your position. Yeah. And, and sometimes with adolescents, when you're doing an intervention, they really don't want you to do because it's embarrassing. Oh, yeah, totally. Over the, over the top. <laughs> but you can, you can plead. <laughs> right? I, I sometimes advise uh, mothers say, my 14, uh, you know, my son hasn't talked to me in a year. He hasn't told me anything. And, and I advise a mother to go to him and say, I'm going crazy inside because I don't know anything about your life. You have to give me a couple of paragraphs so I, you don't see your mother uh, go insane. <laughs> and and usually, uh, uh, usually you can get a kid to tell you something. Um, but if, if she forbids you from doing that on her behalf, then you say, all right, but uh, sweetie, I need to lay out some worries. I think you're lonely and I think you're sad. And I want to know how you're handling it. I have had I've had touches of that particular conversation, um, uh, but it, there's still a heap of pushback of you know meddling in my my stuff and, um, I, and, and 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 what you just keep apologizing, Todd. Yeah, I know this feels like meddling. I, I know I wasn't invited. And I won't do this to you tomorrow and the day after tomorrow and the day after I, I but I need to, I just need to put my worry cards on the table. Mm. Yeah. Okay. All right. It's not ideal, but there it is. Yeah. I, I hope the pandemic ends soon. Yeah. No kidding. Um, I'm, I'm curious if there's any books that any people know that could be read by such a person to well, give you know to give the idea of oh maybe i should stretch myself no no <laughs> no no <laughs> um God, you know what book to write now when this is no, all uh, uh, yeah, yeah, fair enough <laughs> middle schoolers are not interested in self-help books 
Yeah, no, I wasn't thinking. Yeah, I wasn't thinking self-help. I was thinking, or even self-coaching books. If she wants to read about it, um, uh, she can read, uh, you know, the 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 really gritty books uh, like uh, Odd Girl Out or Queen Bees and Wannabes, Mm. and she can read about uh, all the social struggles of middle schoolers. That might give her. That might be. I don't know how it would strike her, but those are the two I'd recommend. Rachel Simmons. Uh, Odd Girl Out, uh, uh, Ross Wiseman's Queen Bees and Wannabes. Queen Bees and Wannabes, okay. Okay. Cool, yep. Yeah, the worst of American middle school social girl, girl life. Yeah, awesome times. Yeah. <laughs> thank, you so, thank you so much. I'm sorry. Dawson also recommended uh, Judy Bloom. Mm. Uh, leadership yeah. website is helpful uh Rachel simmons from there too so right yes Up there um martin you want to unmute yourself and ask your question about family dinners and adolescence i say good luck with that in sports and after school and singing all right well i will then so martin had a question which was do you what do you think about parents insisting the family eats together at home at least once a week with no one having technology available do it absolutely do it do it yeah you're the parents and you get to define something of family culture if you let adolescents define what family culture is you've abdicated your parenting role and but can it be awkward is it sometimes uncomfortable, of course. Um, and I recommend, um, if, if you find it awkward or you're struggling with dinner, I recommend Anne Fischel's book called Home for Dinner. Uh, she runs the uh, Family Dinner Project at the Mass General Hospital. Uh, and she has wonderful suggestions, wonderful suggestions about how to, um, how to make uh, a family dinner better place, but you can't have a meaningful family dinner if everybody's on devices, you just can't. And, and so, you know, family, families get to require their kids to do uncomfortable things. That's, that's what families do. If I made the dinner, I get to make the rules of how like, that is going <laughs> All to right. I've invested in making the meal, then come to my table and let us, it was my thing, so. I know. That's, well, that's I, the voice of experience and authority right there, Julie. If I made the dinner, uh, I, I like that. But the rules, like if you want to make dinner, then have all like figure that out. And guess what? They don't make dinner. So <laughs> there you go. Um, in fact, I was laughing like 22 year olds at night because somebody was talking to him about ironing his shirts. And I was like, aren't you going to miss this when you leave soon? our home and he said yes that he actually so that's a nice thing about having people come back because they appreciate it much more than when they're adolescents um, when they've lived without you for a little while so they do i know they're much more great yeah sorry laurian do you want to ask your question that's about um raising cane and kind of updating that a little bit i just um finished raising cane which was amazing but also terrifying Yes, yeah. I had a few moments. Um, Boy, how, old, how old is your son? So I have a six-year-old son and yeah. an eight-year-old daughter. She's a third grader oh. and kindergartner. With a six-year-old son, you should never have read that book. There's much to <laughs> it. 
<laughs> There's too much gruesome adolescent Trust stuff. Trust me, I was like underlying. Yeah, it was brutal. But um, I, I'm just, for anyone who hasn't read it, it's really about protecting and the importance of emotional language and development in boys. Yep. And um, I'm so we go to MSD, so it's such a cornerstone, and we're so grateful that that's such a cornerstone of MSD. Um, but I noticed it was written a little bit ago, and I didn't know if, years there, ago. Yep. if there was any new things that you've seen that that boys need, or um, any new patterns that you've noticed that you would maybe add to it. Um, no, I think boy, uh, I wish things had changed faster. Um, I think uh, there has been more, certainly in the boys' school where I work, there's been more um, acceptance of boys' emotional life and expressing their emotional life and expressing their own fears and anxieties. Um, I think that's a very good thing. Boys are still under an enormous amount of pressure to appear strong. Stoicism has never gone out of style with boys. And particularly with adolescent boys, and 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 adolescent boys are very, you know, they're very predictably dumb. They 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 go down to the gym and lift weights, <laughs> and think that's going to make them attractive to girls. So they're down there pumping iron, right? And and in a uh, boys. I to interrupt you really quick. My son is already six, and he has already told me he wants bumps on his arms. There you go. Exactly. Big biceps. He knows that's going to, right? So he's, he's already got the idea of what an attractive man is, right? So, but um, I'll tell you the, um, uh, the boys at my school are uh, uh, down uh, lifting weights, don't get nearly as much uh, romantic contact with uh, girls as the boys who sign up for theater at the girls school. And the boys who learn to talk with girls, and right, um, as a friend of mine said, you know, he learned in high school if you talk to girls, they'll sleep with you, and uh, and and pumping iron is not that impressive. Uh, being a football star is not that impressive. It's impressive to a small band of women, but um, if you cover uh, yourself with Axe body spray, does that help? That, oh, more exactly, after the exactly. What is the Axe exactly. like equivalent? Yeah divider no, like acts yeah yeah absolutely yeah. so they have to work through that they have to work through their with the images of masculinity and strength um because there is in late middle school and early high school kind of a gender intensification where the boys who fit some sort of um masculine stereotype seem to rule it isn't that way by the end of high school. It certainly isn't that way in college, but it seems for uh, 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 several years. Uh, but is there a way to start with your six-year-old to disabuse him of this so that he won't go down that track? Uh, I don't know it. I, I think uh, you just need to keep talking to him and you need to keep certifying that he's entitled to have a rich emotional life. And a wide range of feelings from shame and fear to strength and confidence and, and, and courage. You can have it all. Thank you so much. Sure. I love that. 
Are there any last call questions? I'm cognizant of Zoom time and Zoom fatigue, but I also know this is a gift to be able to have this opportunity. So raise your hand or chat it up. Electronic hand, oh, hand wave. Oh, we got can. All right, hold on. Candace Ash, you got your hand up, and then Susan, right, yeah. and then Susan, you're next. All right. Hi. Um, Hi. So my kids are not quite to adolescence yet, but just as they're going forward, do you have any specific tips or anything? Um, I am a single mom, um, mm -hmm. and I have a son and a daughter, and just going forward. And what are their ages? Um, I have a nine-year-old. My son is nine, and my daughter is seven. Well, just enjoy, um, enjoy them. Just have fun. I do. I love them right now. But going, I mean, this talk, obviously, going into adolescence, um, especially with my son, since I am a female, <laughs> you know, navigating that conversation or those changes where I am not, I have not specifically had that experience. And some of those things that are specific to men, just any tips or advice um, navigating going forward with that? Yeah. Um, uh, these are delightful ages. I'm, my grandchildren, are, my granddaughters are turning nine and seven in next month. Um, and and they're, they're sweet ages and they're not adolescent and they're just really sweet. But you do start getting uh, 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 nine-year-old boys often think that in order to be strong that they don't, shouldn't reveal too much. And so moms tend to start saying um, what uh, they start, moms start to complain to me, you know, my son doesn't talk to me in the way he used to when he was littler. And I think, okay, that's normal. But there will be moments when um, he'll be lucid and calm and available. And I want you at some, those moments, Candace, to ask him, about the other boys and men he respects and and how he what what kind of an image he has of growing up to be a man you've said I'm a single mom I don't know anything about it let him teach you what he thinks um, uh, manhood means to him uh, if you watch the the raising cane movie that I did for PBS uh, you'll find in a number of places in that movie, I, uh, I'm asking quite young boys, what does it mean to you to be a man? What does it mean to be a man? And I've never found a boy who didn't want to answer that question. So let your son teach you about how he sees manhood. And for the most part, I think you'll find that you can respect it. There may be things which will bewilder you, and it's best not to attack them. I, I, I have my friend John in New York, who's a, a true intellectual, um, and he had a, a, a son who was a a, a really very good uh, a, a boy chess player and went to a lot of tournaments and played chess. And then when he was 10 and a half, he gave up chess, and he asked his dad to take him to Madison Square Garden to see worldwide wrestling. And this intellectual father was just completely freaked out and called me up and said, why does my son, what happened? What happened to my chess playing son? He wants me to take him to see wrestling, Madison Square Garden. I said, go, go with him, go with him, right? Uh, his son was trying out some, now his son's now a journalist. 
and he turned out to be a writer like his father, but he had to go through his worldwide wrestling stage. Okay, that's that's the way it is. Is that a help? Sounds like it. That's funny. <laughs> All I right. went to a monster truck rally once with one of my kids and I just laughed the entire time. It was so <laughs> funny and loud. I could not. Anyway, so maybe like wrestling would be fun. I don't know because monster truck rally just made me like laugh hysterically the entire time at how hilarious it was. But and how much friend, I got into like Mutt Master like smashing other trucks. I was down. If, so. if, and my friend Polly Schwartz, who had two boys, uh, wrote in her 25th Smith College reunion book, if you had told me that watching the Chicago Bears with my sons and my husband on Sunday afternoon was one of my favorite times, if you told me that when I was an undergraduate at Smith College, I would have said you're crazy. And it is, in fact, one of my favorite, my favorite things. And flip side, we watched Great British Baking Show at my house, and that was one of our favorite things. <laughs> family. So who knew? I don't think my 20-year-old would have ever said, I am going to really look forward to watching baking championships with my mother on Friday nights. And we were all down for that party. So, Oh, my God. But the competition is so fierce. Oh, and the I know. humiliation is I so enormous. Thank you, COVID. You've brought us together in some magical ways about British cooking um, and things I never knew I needed to make. Um, Susan, why don't you ask your question? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Michael. Um, so I guess we're, we're bringing COVID back into this and everybody, you know, the kids are kind of separated. And even yep. if they're going to school, they're masked up and six feet apart and keeping distance from everyone. And, uh, you know, I have two 11 year olds. I have a boy and a girl. And they're already starting to hole up in their bedrooms and sleeping with their phone. Well, trying to sleep with their phones, but their phones are their best friends. But, um, you know, I look at, at uh, I, I did watch that, uh, that show about the social dilemma. And, um, and I know Colorado is actually one of the highest states for teen suicide. Mm. So given where we are, that our kids don't talk to us anymore, and they are separated from their friends and they're, you know, um, what I've noticed with my kids, at least at first is they, everybody holds up, pulled away, pulled into themselves because, um, you know, we can't be with anybody else. So we might as well just cocoon. So what, how do we watch for our kids to make sure that they're okay? Um, so, do yeah. you hear them? laughing and playing with each other you're oh, loving my two with each other no <laughs> um do you hear them in their rooms talking on their phones laughing yes. and playing yes. with their friends yes uh is there are their moods uh, uh uh generally good up and down there's been more up and down yeah. moods in the pandemic but are their moods generally good right yeah i think so all right <laughs> so one of the things uh, i a lot of people have worried that um, the pandemic was going to drive uh, a vast number of kids into anxiety and depression. And what I've seen is that the vast number of kids are resilient. They probably had more fragile moments and more sad moments and angry moments because this is frustrating. But so have I. I've been quite irritable. How about you? Uh, I, I, I have to go for a walk, so I'm not irritable with my family, you know. Um, but uh, we, what you... You don't diagnose a depression or an anxiety disorder unless you're seeing it 
pretty steadily over time. A sad mood, a sense of futility, of hopelessness expressed over time. And time means pretty steadily for six weeks. That's how we diagnose a, de a clinical depression. And anxiety disorder is just anxiety that starts to interfere with all kinds of elements of, of life over a prolonged period of time. But if you, if you feel like you're losing touch with them and you don't, and they're wandering off into the world of phones um, and it scares you, tell them, I'm scared about the worlds you go into that I, where I can't follow you. And I need you to reassure me. Uh, I, would you answer these questions, even though my guess is they're going to be annoying? Have you ever thought of hurting yourself? Mom, <laughs> mom, where did you come up with that, right? That's what you want to hear. But you are entitled when you have a fear about a child and you brought up suicide. So that's why I went right to that question. Yes. And you need, if you ever have that fear about your child, ask them and say, I need to ask this seriously and I need a serious answer. And you can chalk it up to mom's nuts, but I need a, near, a, a, a serious answer. Okay? Yeah, thanks. Sure. I love your help. All right, Julie. We your words. You're so good, Michael, with helping people. Fold our tents. We're going to fold our tents, and I'm just going to say thank everybody for their time. Um, the staff is very fortunate. They're going to work with Michael again in February on um, understanding the nature of boys and supporting them. So that's amazing as part of our equity and inclusion work. So, Michael, thank you for your time. Thank all of you guys for your time. What a treat. What a blessing. Um, this is my favorite Zoom. Um, and a lot of <laughs> Thanks, thank Julie. you so much. Well, I had fun. I had a lot of fun. Stay safe. Yes. Hang in there. You, you too, all of us. All so. right. Yeah. Everyone be safe. Thank you, Michael. Good night. East Coast time. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Montessori School of Denver Community Podcast Series. For more information about the Montessori School of Denver and a Montessori education, visit us at www.montessoridenver.org.